hope is commonly used uh, to mean a wish, right? We, uh, we, when we say we hope for something, we're wishing something happens. And as the video earlier said, there's a, a sense of optimism. We're, we're optimistic that the, the, the circumstances are going to come together and, uh, and things are going to be good. And the strength of our hope, whether we have a lot of hope or a little hope, is gauged by the level of someone's desire. If I really want that to happen, then I have a lot of hope. If I, eh, I'm okay, then I just have a little hope it's going to happen. And that's, uh, in society today, that seems to be how we understand hope. Uh, A wish, uh, optimism. Uh, But the modern understanding of hope differs. It's different from the biblical understanding of hope. Because biblical understanding of hope, as the video we saw earlier illustrated, has to do with waiting, and it has to do with expectation. There's a waiting, and there's an expectation piece. We all understand what waiting is, but what are the components of expectation? Expectation is a combination of desire and trust. Right? If you desire something but you don't have it yet, you have to trust in something that you're going to obtain that. There's an expectation, like, no, no, I don't have that yet, but I'm going to. For instance, uh, for us here at at Faith in the school, payday for us is Fridays, okay? And I am sure every teacher hopes on Wednesday and Thursday that they're going to get a check on Friday, right? They don't have that check yet, but they have a strong desire for the check. Don't you all have a strong desire for your paycheck? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pastor Sean has a strong desire for his paycheck, right? And then there's a trust. What are we trusting in that that desire is going to be fulfilled? And thank goodness here at the church, because of your faithfulness and others, uh, our staff has never gone without a paycheck on Friday. So their, their hope is, is almost certain, right? Because they have a desire, and then there's an expectation. And that expectation is based in trust that, that the church has the money to pay them. And so there's, when we're talking about waiting and expectation, there's an element of desire and trust, What are you trusting in to see your desire fulfilled? And the more trustworthy the object, whether that be a person, whether that be a place, whether that be a thing, the stronger your hope. Does that make sense? So if we really trust something, I mean, that's foolproof. There's a lot of hope involved. But if what you're trusting in, eh, like, your hope in seeing that is diminished. So, hope has a lot to do with trust and expectation. So, how does all of this play out when we're talking about Advent and the Advent season? In, um, in Exodus, uh, the second book of the Bible, the Israelites uh, had gone to eat, well, they'd gone to Egypt in the book of Genesis. And they'd flourished as a people group. And because how well they had flourished, the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, uh, 
was nervous about them and he oppressed them. And you can, you can read about it in the first chapter and two of Exodus. Uh, I mean, radical, ruthless oppression. Killing their children, forced labor, uh, all kinds of things. And the Israelites cried out to God. They cried out and said, uh, hey, we seem to remember that you brought us here. Um, and they cried out and God uh, delivered them in a dramatic powerful way. You can read about it in the entire book of Exodus. I mean, he sent plagues that absolutely decimated Egypt. Uh, financially, morally, I mean, they just were, were run into the ground by these plagues. And so they finally released them, and then on the way out, the Israelites actually, the Bible says they plundered the Egyptians they didn't go and take things from force by the Egyptians, but they asked them, hey, can you give us stuff for our journey? And they said the Egyptians just opened up their pocketbooks and gave them everything. Like, who does that? These people oppressed them, and now all of a sudden their heart has turned, and they just they give them gold, and they give them livestock, and they give them all kinds of stuff. Yeah, just get out of here, kind of thing. They get to uh, the Red Sea, the army's chasing them down, and God splits the Red Sea. And they walk through on dry land and the sea comes down and conquers the army, decimates the army. And then while they're marching, God leads them with a pillar of fire at night and a, and a cloud, a pillared cloud during the day. I mean, can you, I just want, imagine that as a person. You're like, okay, we've, we've been in Egypt for hundreds of years uh, we have no idea what's on the other side of this Red Sea. We have no idea where we're going. I mean, if you've ever gone to a foreign country or moved, you, you have an understanding of this. Like, you get plopped down, you're like, how do I get to the grocery store? Like, thank God for, uh, you know, Google Maps and whatnot. But God says, hey, just follow this pillar of fire. Can you imagine, like, marching around just this pillar of fire leading the way? I mean, that's dramatic. He fed them. He gave them water when they were walking through the desert. And then he leads them to this beautiful country, one of the most beautiful areas in that part of the world. And he gives it to them as their own. I mean, that's amazing stuff. Right? Dramatic way. You can read uh, the New Testament about it. We're not going to focus on all of that. But afterwards, after they've settled in their land and they get comfortable, like most people and like we see in history and we see even today, People get comfortable. They kind of, kind of forget God. They about, go about doing their own thing. They, they, they really forget to worship and honor God. They start living their lives different than what God wants. Uh, they reject some of God's laws and say, no, God, we don't really want that. They, their heart becomes divided. They just start wandering. They start wandering. And what we know is when we wander away from God... All of the evil, the corruption, uh, the devil, all those kinds of things start finding their way into our lives. And all kind of heartache and hardship start developing. And as these things start to develop, the prophets start standing up and saying, Hey, 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 Israelites, look back. Remember God? Remember, he's the God that brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of hardship. He brought us out of oppression. He delivered us. And he brought us through all of that stuff and gave us this land. If you will look to him, 
this will happen to you as well. And so we see this, this uh, the Old Testament prophets encouraging the people of Israel, hey, uh, if you will cry out to God, he will deliver you. Look back, remember, so it'll give you a source of hope to look forward. And I want to show you some of those scriptures. Uh, Zip stole one of them, but uh, it's okay, Zip, I forgive you. Um, in, in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, says this, Marshal your troops now, now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. He's warning, like, hey, we're being surrounded. Uh, the troops are laying siege to conquer us. And then here's what was quoted by Zip. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Here's some of that promise. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. And the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress. Oh, he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. Now, I know that just says a lot, and if you know Israel's history, the Assyrians march through, they invade Israel, they conquer Israel, and uh, all of this happens. And he's given them hope. Look to the future. It's God. It's God who will do this. But he does that by doing this. Look at Micah 6, chapter 4. He reminds them, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. So he gives them hope. And then he says, why can you trust in this hope? Because remember what I did back then. You see, I'm going to do this again. And even though the troops are surrounding your city, even though the circumstances don't look anything like they should, remember what it looked like back in Egypt and remember what I did. So he tells them to look back in order to give them hope to move forward. He does this again in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. My servant David will be king over them. Remember, he's saying this after David has been long dead and buried. So he's not referring to actual King David. He's referring to a descendant of King David. And they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant, Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. 
My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Remember, Ezekiel's telling them this at a time that they have been conquered and overrun and are no longer a nation. They've been taken captive. So he's telling them, hey, you're gonna, this is all going to change. And he does that by pointing back. And he, Ezekiel 20, verses 10 through 12, he reminds them, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, have made them holy. You see, there's this, there's this source of hope. And the Old Testament prophets as they're speaking hope for the future to Israel, they're telling them, remember, remember back what God did. He was powerful. He brought us through. He rescued. And if he did it then, he will do it again. The source of hope was in in the trustworthiness of God and the reminder of looking back. Almost every single Old Testament prophet talks about this. Here are a few. Amos 2.10 I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. Hosea 2.15 There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. Zechariah 10.10 I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. This references back to Egypt, and there's a reminder. You see it in almost every single Old Testament writer. The Psalms, uh, the Minor Prophets, Isaiah, which was quoted by Zip earlier. You see this pointing back. You see, there was a constant reminder that their hope was not in their circumstances, Their hope was not because things were hunky-dory and things were looking good. Their hope wasn't the fact that their bank account was full and they had a nice roof over their head and their job was secure. That's not where their hope was. That their hope was in God. The God who brought them out of Egypt. And the God who could and will at some point deliver them from the current circumstances they find themselves in. Because he'd done it before, he will do it again. He was their hope as they waited expectantly for God's promise, which in all of those you saw really was the promise of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, one ruler, a child born of a virgin, a child born in Bethlehem. All of these promises all point to Jesus Christ. So often we focus on the message of the Old Testament prophets that they proclaimed that it was a warning Repent, Israel, repent, turn to God, turn to God. And certainly that was part of their message. But they also proclaimed hope as they pointed to God. Remember what God did back then. What does this have to do with Advent and with us today? You see, today we are in a state of waiting We're in a state of waiting. Sometimes the circumstances look really good and sometimes the circumstances are really terrible. 
But we all know that we are not living in heaven right now. Right? The world that we live in right now is not the picture of heaven described in the Bible. And so we are in that second waiting where Jesus Christ came, the first advent, he fulfilled the things of the Old Testament prophets, and he went back to heaven and he's with the Father, but he said he would come again. And so now we're in that period. We're in the period of the Israelites where Ezekiel said, hey, I know it looks bad, but God is coming. He is your hope. We're in that period of Micah and Hosea and Zechariah and Amos where the prophets were pointing and saying, hey, don't be discouraged. Don't despair. Your hope isn't in the circumstances you're in. The hope is in the God who said he would and he will. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gave us some promises. These are Jesus' words. He said, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. He's talking about himself. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus is talking about a time when he will return and it will be visible for the whole world to see. It's a promise to us that he is not finished. In John 14, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, he also said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. See, just like the prophets of old, who pointed the, the, the Israelite believers at that time back to the work that God had done through Moses, through Aaron. He delivered them through Egypt. They said, this is the God you're hoping in. Look back to him so that you can look toward to the future. The, the writers in the New Testament of the Bible do the same thing for you and for me. Except this time, we have the benefit of seeing that God delivered Israel from Egypt... He also was good on his faithfulness and his promises to bring Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. How much more so if he was good for them and then he brought Jesus, is he going to do what he said and come back? And so the New Testament writers remind us as well, hey, look to Jesus. He is your hope. And so on, on Advent, we say that our hope is in Jesus Christ, not our circumstances. And you may be having an awesome year where you're like, hey, I'm rejoicing, I'm celebrating because I'm, I'm having a good year. And some of you might be saying, man, this is the worst year of my life. I feel hopeless. And, and may I challenge you today that your hope is not in your circumstances. Your hope is in a person of Jesus Christ who made promises. Amen? Amen? that made you promises, that said, hey, I will come back. And you say, well, how trustworthy is he? Right? Because hope has to do with waiting, which is what we're all doing, 
in expectation. And expectation is desire and trust. So I think most of us desire better. We desire what God promised us. But how trustworthy is he to deliver? And for that I say look back at what he's done. Look back at his deliverance of the Israelites. Look back at the faithfulness of his promises in bringing Jesus Christ. Look back at the fulfillment of all the scriptures to you and to me, even though right now where you stand, circumstances might say, uh, I don't feel very hopeful. Things don't seem to be lining up. I say, choose hope. Choose hope. Because the God of hope will deliver. The same God who delivered the Israelites from Egypt and the same God who sent his son as a sacrifice will be the same God who sends Jesus Christ back and will do everything he said he would do. So therefore, we can hope, we can wait expectantly in Jesus Christ. And that's reason to celebrate. So this Advent season, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, because that's a source of hope for you and I as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ in all his power and glory. Amen. Amen. So, um, I, ho- I desire that you guys would be full of hope, that you would choose hope. Not let circumstances dictate your hope or hopelessness. And that's the gift Jesus Christ has brought you and me. That to this point, he has done everything he said he would do, which makes him completely trustworthy that he'll fulfill the desire in your heart that will come to completion. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm going to pause for a moment. Uh, Pastor Sean's going to come up. And one of the things that we really wanted to do during this Advent season was to give, uh, to explain things that you see around this time of the year that don't maybe really understand the meaning of, and then incorporate some of those things into our worship and into our Understanding, And so I asked him to explain it uh, to you because he's much better looking than I am and he does a better job talking about it. So, <laughs> Pastor Sean, come on up. Looking thing, but uh, I'm younger, that's for sure. Um, so I'm really excited uh, that Pastor Steve gave me the opportunity just to talk about uh, some of the pieces of Advent that you're going to be seeing. And I'm really excited because it's something that we get to do that's really, I mean, it's traditional, but we don't have to do it necessarily the traditional way. But it's super helpful in understanding our season that we're in instead of getting caught in all the consumerism and what normally just floods our minds and our, our families and our homes during Christmas, we can actually focus uh, on things of the word, of things of the Lord, and still celebrate with our family. So a couple of things that, that you see uh, normally during Advent are the wreaths and the candles. And both of them have uh, an extreme significance. Now, most people will tell you that the wreaths and the candles will... Um, 
go back just to like the 18th, 1800s with, with a German uh, Lutheran guy who put things together, who was part of a children's ministry, and it just snowballed from that. But this stuff actually goes back to the 4th and the 5th centuries. And the reason why, for me at least, that's exciting is because it ties us that much closer with the whole church, with the way Christians have always interpreted what this season means and, and how they celebrate it, and we get to join in with that. So the first thing that we have is the wreath, and you'll notice it's normally made uh, of evergreen. Sometimes it'll be made with a couple different things, but the evergreen, the forever green, and the fact that it's in a circle actually symbolizes the eternal life that we have in Christ. And the circle is the circular nature of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's what the wreath is there to symbolize. Now, the, the candles, which we have a little bit of a modern take on the candles, are also important. Normally, when you have a candle, you have that little flame that flickers. And that flickering is the movement that represents life. That represents the life that we now find in Christ, or that we hope for or expect for in the coming Messiah. And each uh, candle represents something different. Sometimes there's four candles uh, that's most traditional. Sometimes there's five. Sometimes there can be six. And each one of them represents something different. The first one normally represents hope. The second one normally represents uh, faith. Then it normally, the next one is peace. And the last one is joy. Now we're going to do a little something different with the faith. We're going to talk about... Um, Love, is that correct, or did I mix that up? Anyway, you'll see. You just, just come to church, and you'll find out. Um, and they're, they're each represented by, uh, there's three of them purple, one of them a pink, and then normally there's a fifth one, a white one, with the Christ candle. And normally, you'll see them traditionally on like a table or a stand with the wreath in the middle. Uh, I mean, wreath on the stand, and then in the middle, you'll have the candles. And that just simply is representing the life that we have in Christ of hope, faith, Joy and peace now is in the center, is in, it's all encapsulated in the eternal life that God offers us through his son, Jesus. And again, I'm, I'm really excited that we get to be able to do this and even just a little bit different because I know for me growing up, it was never actually even really explained to me. It just happened, and you would, for, for, for our church, if you were really looking forward to being picked as a family to come up and do like a scripture reading in the candle and actually light the candle, and they normally let the kids do it, but they pray really hard first that nothing goes up in flames. And uh, I'm just really excited that we actually get to celebrate in this way. It's not supposed to be somber, it's not supposed to be just something you think about up here, but when you see these symbols, uh, the wreath, uh, the candles, when you see them, because we still see them in stores, we still see them out and about, we can reflect on the actual meaning for this season. And that's something that we can, in turn, share with others. And that's our hope, that, that just doing little things like this and understanding and talking about the true reason for Advent, the preparation, that tension that was talked about in the video, that it will, it will free us to celebrate even a little bit better. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Steve. Oh, but we need to, we need to light it. This is, this is a celebration, people. We get to, ready? Three, two, one. Ah, oh, isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Sean. I know some of you, if you, like I said in the beginning, if you grew up in a liturgical church, you completely understood the lighting of candles, and this might be like, I do this every year with my family. For me... I had no idea what the Advent and the Candles meant. I thought it was just some weird Roman Catholic thing. And, uh, so, but to know that um, when we see a wreath, what it signifies, and 
Every week when you come in and you see a candle, well, for us it'll be the light lit, you'll know that that represents the hope that God brings us at Advent. And next week, when we talk about faith, we'll light the faith light. And so each week, it's a reminder for you of the, of the gifts, the things that God gives us during this season. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going we're gonna, to, the sound booth has queued up a uh, celebratory Christmas song that we'll leave on, because our goal this, this year was to, uh, to celebrate the Advent season today, so we're celebrating with hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the greatest gift given to us was your son, Jesus Christ. And that that was fulfillment of, of so many uh, pointings of the Old Testament prophets. And so, Lord, uh, it gave, uh, his coming gives us hope as we look back to that you are who you said you were, that you fulfilled the promises you said you would, that, that you rescued Israel from Egypt, that you sent your son to save the world, and that you promised that you will send him back in power and in glory and bring us to heaven. And so, Lord, as we wait for that day, we wait in hope. We wait in expectation because you are trustworthy. So what I pray today that everybody who's in this place would leave with their hope based in you and not in their circumstances. We thank you for all that you've done. We worship you and we love you this day in your precious name. Amen.